Okay, we're in a little series of one chapter books at the moment. Um, last week we had Philemon. Uh, this week we're going to have Second John. Next week's going to be Third John. And then after Christmas we're going to be into Jude. So, Second John. Uh, it's a very short letter, and so I might just read it myself today. Um, but before I do, I, I want to share a couple of things that's going to help us to understand this letter as we read it a whole lot better. The first thing is about the address. Um, the address is to the elect lady and her children. Now, who is this elect lady? She sounds very important. Well, the thing is, there is no elect lady. It's a metaphor. Okay, so just like you might say, the clouds were cotton wool in the sky. That's a metaphor. Um, this, is a, this is a metaphor. The elect lady is a church, and her children are the Christians who make up that church, and her home is the gathering of the church. Um, right, so you follow? Yep, hopefully. And so when he says at the end of the letter... Um, the, the children of your elect sister greet you, what he's saying is the people at the church here where I am are greeting you. All right, so that's the first thing. The second thing is there's a few repeated words that drive this message. Um, and I've highlighted them in the Bible reading, but for those who are listening to this on the recording, those words are love, truth, Christ, and command or commandment. And these words just keep coming up all the way through this very short letter. So let me read it. Second John. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one that we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the anti-Christ. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you, and does not bring this teaching, do not receive them into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face 
so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. And that's the end of 2 John. It's not a very long book of the Bible, is it? Now, when I look back over my life in the church, from the time I was a child right through until now, I cannot do so without having a bit of a tinge of sadness. I think of my youth group days, and I think of my mate who had a scripture union camp with tears in his eyes, gave his heart to Jesus, gave his life to Jesus. It was, it was a real time of joy. It was a time of joy for me because I'd been working on him for years, getting him to come along to youth group and then convince him to come to this camp. And it was a real joy for the leaders of that camp that, that I think it was a couple of students, a couple of campers on that camp gave their hearts to Jesus. It was a real joy for them. It was a real joy for the other Christians on that camp. It's, it's exciting to be there when someone gives their heart to Jesus. But it was probably about five years later, he told me, I don't believe that anymore. I think of a teenager I baptised and how on that day he pledged himself to Jesus. But now there's no evidence that he continues to walk with Jesus. This next example is a little bit different. I think of an older man who is still active in the church today. And he's had a history of being active in supporting Sunday schools and youth groups throughout his life. And he's still very active in the church that he's in. But now, although he claims to be a Christian, he's what he calls a progressive Christian. And he doesn't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. He doesn't believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. He doesn't believe that the day of judgment is coming. And he he doesn't even believe that Jesus is God, at least not in the way that we understand God. What about you? Who do you remember who no longer walks with Christ? Someone who you knew at one time, everything about them seemed to be, yeah, this person's a believer. Yeah, yeah, they've given their heart to Jesus, but they're no longer walking with Christ. I'm pretty sure you can all think of someone, can you not? So for me, I'm filled with joy when I remember those who are walking with Jesus. He's their life, he's their everything. But, but also, there's always this tinge of sadness for those who no longer walk with Jesus. And often, the reason that someone no longer walks with Jesus is because of one of these four words. Love, truth, Christ, command. One or more of these they cannot abide. But the thing is, we usually think of those who no longer walk with Jesus as being those who have completely lost their faith, they've dropped out of fellowship. But in this letter, John is speaking to a people in a church. And he's talking about some people within the church. They don't walk in truth. And they don't walk in the commandments of God. Some have a problem with love. They don't understand that Christian love is an action. You know, we tend to think of, of love as being an emotion or a feeling. And if I'm not feeling the love, well, there's no love to give. 
But it's not an emo- Christian love isn't an emotion or a feeling. It's an action. And we love because Christ loved us first. We have experienced the love and the mercy and the grace and the peace of Christ. And so we also love others. We are loving and gracious and merciful. And because godly love isn't a feeling or an emotion, that's why it's something that can be commanded. You know, if if we don't understand this, it's going to seem very strange to have a commandment to love. How can you command me to feel something? I can't command you to feel something. But God commands us to do an action, love. Some folk cannot do that. Some leave the church. Some stop walking with Christ altogether because they cannot bear to be in a church with a certain person. If there is one word that would describe the message of the Apostle John, which is the message of Jesus, it would have to be love. In John's writings, it just comes through all the time. 1 John 3.11, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3.23, And this is the commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. 1 John 4.7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4, 12, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 1 John 3, 18, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And in this very letter that we've just read, John reminds us, hey, this isn't a new commandment. This is one which has been around right from the start when Jesus told us it's a new commandment at that stage. It's not a new commandment for us now that we love one another. Love. Loving others, even those that we don't like, and even those that the world will see as being unlovely is what John wants us to know is the way of Christ. Love. For some, that's a deal breaker, though. I've been so hurt by that person, I can never, I could never love them. A second barrier for some is truth. Some stop walking with Jesus because they cannot handle the truth. And of course, at this stage, I've got to bring in a bit of classic Jack Nicholson. The truth? You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Now, if you're as old as I am, you remember that. Truth. It's, it's more than a concept. Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the truth. It was John himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that recorded these words of Jesus. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. 
from now on you do know him and you've seen him. To walk in truth is to walk in Christ. And to walk in Christ is to walk in truth. It's one and the same thing. But how do we know what is truth? When Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate scoffed and says, what is truth? That, that was Pilate's response to, the, to what Jesus had just said to him. Je, Jesus had told him that, that he had come to bear witness to the truth. God had revealed his truth in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had revealed himself in Christ Jesus. And love and truth go together. Sometimes in the name of love, that some folk will throw truth out the window. Oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I, I need to just, I'm, I'm just going to love. I'm going to love. Well, that's not, that's not real love. Sometimes in the name of truth, they throw love out the window. Oh, you've got to stand by the truth. You've got to stand by the truth. And, and they just remove all love. That's not real truth. Love and truth go together as Christ and truth are one. So John tells us that he, he loves other Christians in truth. It's the same as saying, I love them in Christ. In fact, he tells us that all who know the truth, who's all who know the truth? All those who know Christ. All who know the truth love other Christians in truth. We all who are in Christ and know Christ will love one another in Christ. That's, it's all very easy to stand up here and say that. But how can we actually do it? It's really hard to love some people. Does anyone here not have any trouble with loving everybody? We all have trouble loving everyone. We, we, we have trouble, don't we? It's so hard. How can we love? Well, verse 2 tells us it's because the truth abides in us and will be with us forever. What's truth? Christ. Christ abides in us. Who will be with us forever? Christ. Christ will be with us forever. And that's how we can love. If Christ is in us, and if truth is in us, then we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And truth will be with us forever. That's the thing about truth. Truth doesn't change. Truth is truth. Now, we live in a generation that is just insane. We live in a generation that goes, no, no, truth changes all the time. And what's true for me might not be true for you. That's just crazy talk. You try and get that through a court of law. Truth is true. It's either true or it's not, and it does not change. And God's word is truth. Jesus Christ is truth, and it does not change. God has revealed his truth. And to walk in truth is also something that we are commanded to do. We're not free to believe or to disbelieve whichever bits we want to. We're not free to obey or to disobey the bits that we choose to. 
Um, when I read verse 4, I thought for a while, how am I going to describe verse 4? And I decided to call it a cutting encouragement. Because it's worded like an encouragement, but man, oh man, it's cutting. John said, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth, just as we were commanded to by the Father. Do you understand what he's saying here? It's coming across an encouragement. Oh, so great, to, so happy to see the folk in the church who are walking in truth. But there's only some of them. What about the rest of them? He's not saying, he's not saying most of you's. And he's not saying that, that you're a church that's united in following Christ in truth. He says, some of you are walking in truth. What a terrible indictment that would be on a church. Imagine if we were told that, if an apostle come and said, oh, it's so exciting to see a few of you walking in truth. That'd, that'd probably hurt a bit and go, oh, I wonder if I'm one of the few. Am I part of the sum? See, rather than stick with the truth that God has revealed in Christ, some folk in their human wisdom, they want to change it. They want to add to it. They want to take away from it. It's a bit like making a religious stew. Who here likes stew? You can put your hands up this time. Who likes stew? Andrew's got both hands up. Most people like stew. Scott, you're not a stew man. Now, I'm with you, Scott. I'm with you. A waste of good meat. Oh, well, this is, the th this is the thing. I mean, when you're killing a whole beast or killing a whole sheep, there's certain parts of, of the beast that, well, it's either got to be dog food or, or become stew. There's some things just going to take too long to bone out or um, going to be too jolly tough if you eat it, so you either have to mince it or, and you can only eat so much mince, um, unless you turn it into steakettes, Scott. I, I know, I know the deal. Um, the thing is, I sort of, when I think about stews, sometimes people will cook a stew and, and it's sort of like the same flavour over and over and over again. But when I'm making a stew, I like to put in a few different flavours. So I, I go to the herb garden and I pick all of these different herbs and I, and I throw them in. And, and then I go to Robin's Spice Cupboard, which is very well stocked, but I have no idea what most of them are. And, and I sort of look, I go, I wonder what that'll taste like. And I put a little bit of that in the stew and I do know what that tastes like. I'll put a bit of that in the stew and we sort of mix it up. And, and um, yeah, so I come up with my own concoction. How, how is it, Daniel? He had a stew the other night. He said it was pretty good. He's still polite. He's still polite. Anyway, some folk are like that with their faith. They begin with the truth, but I don't really like that bit. I'll take that bit out. But I might add a bit of this, and I do like this. I'll put some of that in. And they make up their own religious stew. And it seems that the specific departure from the truth that John is addressing here is to do with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And those who have departed from the truth, he calls them deceivers. And he calls them antichrist. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? Um, I don't think I'd want to be called Antichrist. Well, I have in the past, but I don't think I would want to. They oppose Christ. 
They, they did not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now, I think he probably has a specific heresy in mind. There was, in that era, he's speaking to a people who were of Greek influence. And the Greeks at that stage, they didn't think that, that the body was a very good thing. And their aim in life was to get rid of the body and to become, become a spirit, a free or floating spirit. And the body was just degrading. And they could not wrap their minds around how, how the, a god could take on flesh to become a human because that would be degrading. And so they came up with this idea that he wasn't really a person. He was just a, a spirit that uh, had a pretend body type thing. Um, now, the Greek word that he uses here for coming, it, it's actually in the present tense. So it's not something that happened in the past. So they might have believed that, that Jesus, the Son of God, never actually dwelled on this earth as God in the flesh. And that's the most likely thing. But it could also relate to his second coming, um, that, that Jesus isn't returning again. But I guess I think the best example that I could give you today would be the Jehovah's Witnesses, right? So the Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll come and knock on our door and tell us about God and they'll have their own version of the Bible. But they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They don't, do not, or at least if they believe that he's the Son of God, he's not in the same way as what we believe. They think that Jesus was an angel, whereas we believe the scriptures are telling us, because they do, that Jesus is God who came in the flesh. Very big difference. Or perhaps a second example could be those who now call themselves progressive Christians. They do not believe in the godness of Jesus, at least in the way that we believe. They completely distort the gospel so that it becomes some, more of a, a humanism thing rather than being a God who became a human to die on the cross to save us from our sins. And the way that, that John describes this sort of message is, is they are deceivers. They are antichrists. And he tells us they've gone out into the world. He's describing them as missionaries. There were many of them in John's day, and there's many of them in our day. Who are the most active missionaries in our town? How many Christians do you have knock on your door in a decade compared to how many Jehovah's Witnesses you have knock on your door? Um, and when it comes to the progressive Christianity, that some of the, those who, who grab hold of that they are some of the greatest evangelists for their cause. They are fully convinced by it and they fully believe that they're in the right and they have this secret knowledge that, that we don't know and we've missed it out and we've been deceived and, and they will tell us all about that, what they believe. And they fully believe their own message. But the reality is, because they have departed from the truth and they've made up their own religious stew, they are deceivers and antichrists. In verse 9, John says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The image that he's giving us here is, is those who would tell us that Christianity is a developing thing. 
It'd be those who describe themselves as the progressives or as the advanced thinkers or perhaps as those who are more spiritual. And, and you know, I can access a deeper revelation from God um, so that we can add this to our faith. In John's day, it was the Gnostics. They believed that they had a secret knowledge. And it's the same today. Those who go on ahead. Now, going on ahead, we might think that sounds like a good thing. But no, John is using this in a derogatory way. They go beyond the truth revealed by God and they decide for themselves their own truth. And so, in their eyes, it doesn't really matter that the Bible doesn't say this. God has revealed it to me. God's given me revelation, and I'm going to pass that revelation on to you. In other words, they're telling us that they are God's conduit to us, equal to the Bible. Well, they may claim to preach an advanced form of Christianity, but if they do not abide in the teaching of Christ... And if their own teaching overrides the teaching of Christ, they do not have God. And let's be clear about this. The warning that John gives here is a very severe warning. He says, watch yourselves. This is in verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose, or a better word there might be destroy. So watch yourselves so that you may not destroy what we have worked for, but may win or receive a full reward. Do you realise there's two different people there that he's talking about? He's talking about those who have worked, we who have worked. Who's that? It's the apostles. It's the preachers. It's the evangelists. It's the teachers. It's those who have been fruitful in teaching Christ and they've worked hard in preaching the true gospel and at one time, that church that he's writing to, they'd listen to these people and they'd learn from all of this, but not anymore. Now they're starting to listen to deceivers and their faith in Christ and, and their belief in truth were in peril. Their belief in truth was being destroyed. The apostles and the preachers had labored hard to build up their faith but now it was being destroyed. And I look back over my life and I give God thanks for all those who have worked hard to help build the faith in myself um, that I might receive eternal life. I thank God for my parents. I thank God for my Sunday school teachers. I thank God for my youth group leaders and my camp leaders. I thank God for all of the preachers and teachers and Bible study leaders and, and theological college lecturers and stuff. All those who I've learned from and who have put effort into me and, and, and urged me to keep on following the way of Christ. I give thanks to God for that. You do too, don't you? Give thanks to God for all those who have been instrumental in helping to develop your faith, who have been teaching you the truth of Christ and helping you to, to keep walking in the way of Christ. What's the, what's the reward for that? The eternal reward. 
Now, the teaching of Christ, I've been using that word, that phrase, but what is it? It's two things. It's what Christ taught, and it's what is taught about Christ. It's what the Scriptures teach us about Christ, and it's about what Christ taught us about living as his disciple. And whoever abides in the teaching of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Now, that sounds very exclusive, but that's simply the way it is, and that's the truth. We might often hear the phrase, oh, so-and-so, they're not a Christian, but they're a very spiritual person. They're sort of painting it as if, you know, but they're, sort of, they're mostly like us. They're not at all like us. Being spiritual doesn't make you a brother or sister in Christ. It's being a Christian, being a disciple of Jesus that makes you a brother or sister in Christ. Um, and it's also become quite fashionable to, to think, you know, it doesn't really matter what God you worship, you know, we all worship the same God. That's called universalism, where we think there is only one God, and you, know, you can worship Buddha or Muhammad or whatever, or Allah, and, and it's all the one God. What a load of rubbish. The only way to the Father is through the Son. This is the truth. And this is so important. It's so important that the teaching of the church keep Christ and the truth of Christ central to the gospel that we preach. So important that John says, if anyone, anyone comes to you with a different teaching, don't let him into your house and don't welcome him. And remember what, what's this house he's talking about? Don't let him come into the fellowship and teach there. Now, I once used to be in a denomination that, that had the attitude that we were a very open church and we let people bring, teach a, a vast range of different things and people can just sort it out for themselves. I'll tell you what, the Apostle John would not have a bar of that. He says, if you welcome a deceiver into your church, that is taking part in his wicked works. And so Christ, the Son of God, this time of year, coming up to Christmas, we're, we're especially remembering that this is God who came in flesh as a human. Christ Jesus, who died on the cross and rose again. Christ, who is with us by his Holy Spirit. And Christ Jesus, who is returning again to judge the living and the dead. This, this person of Christ and this Christ, who is God in the flesh. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. And that's why we are commanded. Some reject Christianity because they will not be told. They might feel Christianity, it's about freedom. We shouldn't be talking about commandments problem is, Jesus did. The apostles did. I think the best way to explain it is, yes, it is about freedom. And in Christ, we are free to obediently keep his commandments. 
We've been commanded to walk in truth. That's a pretty good thing, really. Walking in truth. That's a, that's a good thing. Why would I want to be all befuddled by lies? And his greatest commandment is to love. Just as Christ and truth are interchangeable, love and the commandments of God are also one. Some people get a real hang up on this saying, oh, the commandments are not loving. Well, if you think that, then you're not thinking in the way that God thinks. The commandment is to love. And verse 6 says, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. I mean, this, this shouldn't be a confusing thing. Wasn't it Jesus who said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. And wasn't it Jesus who said, you shall also, the second greatest commandment is to love your brother as yourself. And didn't Jesus then go on to say, on these two commandments depend all of the law and, all of, and the prophets, right? On these two commandments, to love God and love others, that's a rendering down of every commandment that we find in the scriptures. And so if I don't keep the commandments of God, then I'm not loving like I should. And if I don't love, then I'm not keeping the commandments of God as I should. So there you go. It's a very short letter, but it is packed. It's filled with truth. It's filled with love. And it points us to, to Christ Jesus who came in the flesh. History has it that the Apostle John was the last surviving apostle. And, and those who loved Jesus would hang on every word that he said. He was the last of the 12 who, who had followed Jesus into every secret room and, and heard all of this teaching the last who had this first-hand knowledge of Jesus' teaching. And I pray that we would remain children who walk in the truth. I pray that we would walk in his command, which is not a new command, the age-old command to love. And, and that we would constantly focus on our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came in the flesh, the one who's coming again. Short letter, short prayer. Amen.